I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome to Game Changers, a personal branding and business podcast about extraordinary people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Erin May Henry, and my mission is to help entrepreneurs become known online so that they can share their message with more people and build the empire that changes their lives. On this podcast, I interview up-and-coming thought leaders so that together we can teach you the tools and strategies you need to take the next step on your own personal branding journey. Covering everything from money to mindset, social media to speaking, and confidence to content, Every episode will leave you empowered and full of ideas on how you can shape your industry rather than just be a part of it. Now, let's get into today's Game Changer chat. Hi, everyone, and welcome back officially to Game Changer or Game Changers. To be honest, I don't really know, whatever, but this podcast has been relaunched quite a few times, and I'm just going to be totally transparent and say the reason for this is because I just didn't know the direction I wanted to take the podcast in, and I didn't know how it was going to fit in with my strategy, being that YouTube is my main platform. If this is the first podcast you're ever listening to of mine, or if it's the first time we're ever meeting, um, hi, my name is Erin. I am a personal branding coach. I'm a business coach. I really help people to share their message online. And I am a big, big, big fan of creating content on YouTube. But I did start a podcast halfway through last year so that I could just have a better way to communicate with other entrepreneurs and share their stories. And ultimately, that has what I've That is what I've realized I want to do with this podcast. I want to share the stories of, you know, those entrepreneurs who are up and coming or those people who are really trying to share their message and to spread a positive influence online. And I want to just have a real raw, authentic talk with them about what they've done to achieve the success that they've had in the hope that it is going to be able to inspire you, the listener, to also create success for yourself, to build a personal brand, to build a business, to live the life of your dreams. Because when the more people go out there and they do these kinds of epic things, the more we actually are going to have an amazing, an amazing world. I don't know. (laughs) I'm just so, so, so hyped on energy today. I don't even know my words, but anyway, point of my story is that I am excited to be back. I'm excited to be back specifically with today's episode because I am bringing you one of not only my clients, but one of my current inspirations, to be honest, because today we are chatting with Vanessa Lau. So if you're a part of my community online, you probably already know who Vanessa is because she's making huge waves and she's just doing awesome things. She's a fellow YouTuber, but she's also a business coach specifically helping millennials take the leap from side hustle into main hustle, helping millennial entrepreneurs who want to get out of the nine to five grind to build a business online and to build their brand, to up-level their social media, all of those fun things. And Vanessa is honestly one of the most hardest working, genuine, 
caring people that I've ever met. It was not only such a pleasure to work with her because let's just say she made my job easy by just being so relentless and bold in the pursuit of her dreams, but also she is just such a gorgeous person. She is so engaging with her content. If you're not following her YouTube channel, I'm going to leave all of the information in the description of this podcast. But without further ado, I want to bring her on because she'll tell you the rest of her story. We have a really, really good chat about not only what it takes to start an online business, but we also dive deep into YouTube strategy and interestingly, what it takes to be a good client. You know, I think we talk a lot about in this online marketing space, what it takes to be a good coach or what it takes to get people results. But ultimately at the end of the day, this is a, you know, a 50, 50% relationship when you're working with a coach or a mentor of some sort. And, you know, you yourself can get the most for your own journey by showing up and being the best client you can possibly be as well. So anyway, now I'm rambling. I'm really excited for this episode. So let us jump straight in. All right, everyone, welcome back officially to Game Changers, the podcast. I know we've taken a little bit of a break and I'm super, super excited about today's episode. As you would have already heard me talk about in the introduction, I'm here with such a special person, someone that I've had the pleasure of working with myself, but uh, you know, even beyond our work together, I'm just so astonished with what they've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time. And honestly, I'm using her story as a case study all over the internet because every single one of my community is just asking me about her because she's such an inspiration. So I'm so excited to welcome Vanessa to the podcast. Hello, Erin. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I've got a lot I want to talk to you about today, particularly jumping into YouTube, because this is something that obviously I'm so passionate about. And you've also had such amazing success on there, particularly over the past month or so. Um, But for anyone who maybe hasn't heard of you before, or this is the first time meeting you, you know, take us back to the beginning. So Obviously, you're a very successful entrepreneur at this stage, a very successful content creator, but what is the origin story? Like, how did this all start? Take us back to the beginning because I'd absolutely love to talk a little bit more about particularly working in corporate and what made you decide to want to follow this entrepreneurial path because it's not something I've ever experienced, you know, and I love hearing people's stories because I never can give advice on this because it just isn't my story. So take us back to the start. Take us back to the corporate world and let's talk from there. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to take it even a bigger step back, not just starting with the corporate world, but just starting with university in general or college or however you want to call it, whoever's listening. It's different for everyone. But I went to a top business school in my city and I remember just going into that business school and having the worst case of imposter syndrome and feeling like I didn't belong there. And on top of that, because I felt like I didn't belong there, I felt like I truly needed to step it up. And the culture that was created within my university was always about, you know, going corporate, um, being a VP for a company, working for a company, getting internships, so on and so forth. And I totally bought into the whole thing because I just wanted to prove to people that I could do it and I could be successful. And at that time, the definition of success was to go corporate. 
And I worked my butt off to get internships. I worked at Coca-Cola. I worked at L'Oreal. I worked at all these big companies just as an intern. And I secured Fortune 500 full-time offers before I even graduated. And not only this, I graduated top female, like every single checkbox that you could check off, I did. And that was all because I desperately just wanted to make a name for myself and I wanted to be successful. And I just wanted to get the approval of others and show to people, hey, you can be a female and you could be super smart and you can still kill it in business. And my definition of killing it in business was literally climbing the corporate ladder. And then I get to the corporate ladder and I'm full time now. It's no longer like that fun internship that I'm at. It's, it's the real deal. Like it's my life now. And I just remember my first day just being like, oh my gosh, what did, I don't think I like this. First day. I don't think this is for me. Yeah. The very first day I already knew like something wasn't right, but I still felt like I needed to push forward because the company that I was working at was a company that everyone was, you know, really complimenting me on, very proud of me, like, oh, wow, like, Vanessa, congratulations, you're so lucky um, that you got this gig, so on and so forth. And I just felt, like, ungrateful to let that go. And I also felt like I didn't want to let go of all the hard work that got me there in the first place. And so, yeah. I'd just like to ask a question on this, because what influenced you or where do you feel like this pressure came from so like it's been really obvious what you've said so far that you just you really felt like you needed to succeed you almost wanted to prove that you could succeed be and uh, you know an inspiration for those women out there who were wanting to succeed in business has this drive always been innate within you or do you think it came from outside sources Yeah. So not to get too emotional here, but I think where it came from was when my parents got divorced and, you know, my dad was the breadwinner of my family. And what I learned from that experience is that when you are a woman and I learned it from my mom is that, and you rely on, you know, your husband to take care of you for like the rest of your life. And if that doesn't work out, then you kind of lose a huge piece of you. And I think that experience really affected me as a, I mean, I was a teenager at that time. And that was the tipping point for me when I was like, I don't ever want to be in a position where I can't like be fine if I ever got a divorce. Like, you know, we never want to wish that on anyone, but it was just that pivotal moment in my life. And not only this in my past. And I think that I really resonated with you whenever I listened to your personal journey of like being that party girl and being that person that like, you know, likes to go out and have fun and all of that. And I feel like society feels like you can't have fun and you can't be smart at the same time. And so I was constantly always judged on the outside and no one thought that I was like, even when I got into that university, people were like, how did you get in? And I always felt like a part of me was the underdog and it would really hurt me when people would be surprised whenever I accomplished something. And so when I got into university, I felt like it was time to step it up and just kind of rebrand my identity and be this corporate lady so that people could just stop being surprised and instead be like, I expected this from her. Like, this is, this is her. She's a hard worker. She's smart so on and so forth. So those were the two things that I felt really motivated me to want to pursue this path and for me to just be very ambitious in my career, I think, um, to answer your question. 
I just think a really important lesson was said there, particularly like, obviously we all do have within us this sense of wanting to prove ourselves. That's, that's human nature and it's undeniable. And anyone who says, I don't care what other people think to a certain degree, I think is lying or they don't know it to themselves. But one thing that I really liked, even though it came from not the most positive experience, one thing that I think for anyone who's maybe a bit younger or who is wanting to build a career or a business for themselves I think what Vanessa shared is so powerful being that you did it for you. It was like you were set, like, even though it was to prove to all these other people and you might not even recognize that you like this is, it was what it sounded like to me, but you said, it's like, I want to be, you know, able to take care of myself. I want to feel this Mm -hmm. accomplishment. I want to be responsible for myself. And that responsibility, I think is one of the attributes that has made you so successful Mm -hmm. because when people take 100% responsibility for themselves and for their journey and know that if I'm going to make it, it's up to me, even though that's not necessarily the mentality, but it's the mindset that came out of it. That I believe is one of the things that has fueled your journey so much. And so if anyone was listening and just wants to you know, get Vanessa's nuggets of wisdom, here's, <laughs> here's the number one to write it down. It is to take responsibility for your own journey, to know that if you're going to be successful, if you're going to prove yourself, if you're going to be successful in the corporate world or the business world, you have to decide that it's up to me. Yeah. It's that 100% ownership. And it's also, you know, reverse engineering, right? Like I think a lot of people just try to wing it, but how I always see success is, okay, where do I want to be and how am I going to get there? Yeah. I I think about the end result every single time. So when I was in university, it was like, okay, I want this fancy fortune 500 company job. How am I going to get there? And What steps do I need to take in order to achieve that goal? And by having this framework to achieve goals, I've always achieved the things that I've always wanted. And it's not to sound pretentious, but I just realized that, yes, it might take some time. But even when I quit my corporate job, and we can still continue talking about how I got there, I was like, okay, well, I want to be like, I want to be like Aaron and like have my online business and be a coach. And yes, there was imposter syndrome and yes, there was like, I can't get there. Like there were times where I doubted that, but I was like, okay, let me just see how everyone else did it. And let me just see and actually like create the roadmap in order to get to that level of the people that I'm admiring right now, as I'm sitting in my cubicle, like dreaming that I could be them. And now I'm here. And that was all because I reverse engineered success. Look at people that you admire and follow what they did. And then you will get there eventually. <laughs> I love that, honestly. And that's something like, I, I love that advice. And it's something that I've shared a lot. But I can almost hear a lot of people's hesitations in that advice. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And then we'll definitely mm-hmm. get back to your story. Because <laughs> what I've heard a lot of people, you know, because you know how much I talk about research, like go out there and research your industry, your audience, you know, the talk and stalk method, like all of these things. And something that a lot of people get stuck on is when they do start researching these people, these successful people, the people who are where they want to be, they can also couple that with, well, there's already too many people doing what I want to do, or there's already these people who are successful. I'm never going to be that successful. How did that play out in your journey and how did you deal with maybe those blocks oh my goodness that was me for like six years of me wanting to do YouTube like when YouTube first started I was like oh there's already so many content creators there and that was when it first started in like 2002 or something I don't know what what year YouTube was (laughs) a long time ago yeah like 2010 or 20 2009 or whatever and every single year I told myself that it was too competitive 
Um, there's no way that I could make it as a content creator. And now we're sitting at 2018. Well, now it's 2019, but back then I started my channel in 2018. And I was just like, you know what? It's either I let myself say that it's too saturated and just stop myself completely from doing it. And then I'll never be a content creator. Or I actually start and see where it goes despite the competition. And here I'm at sitting at 25,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I look back at that and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, thank God I started. Yeah. And you're always going to wish you started sooner. You're always going to wish that, you know, a year later, you're going to be like, oh, I should have started last year. Two years later, oh, I should have started last year. That's Mm -hmm. something that people always say. And what I always say to even my clients is like, just start now because by not starting at all, you're making the decision to not be the person that you want to be, to not achieve the goals that you want to achieve. And that's on you. That's not on a book. That's not on a podcast. That's up to you to actually pull up your big girl pants and do the work despite the competition. Yeah. Because if everyone told themselves that it was competitive, then nobody would be doing the things that they're doing now, or at least the people that you look up to. One thing that I think is really, really important in that message, and just this is this is an example that I always come back to, particularly what you were saying about like the competition and there's always going to be something, is the concept of innovation and the concept of new ideas and the concept the concept of almost industry wreckers, you could say. We wouldn't have such a progressive technological age at the moment if it wasn't for people who'd looked at industry and says, there's a competition, but this is what's wrong with it. And I think a lot of people can say, yes, there's, there's all this competition and you know, there's too many people and you can go with that mindset even through your research. Or you could think of things like Uber, or you could think of things like the iPhone, or you could think of things like Amazon, and you could think of the competition. Think about the retail industry. Think about how big and how much competition there was in the retail industry, particularly for you know, books and, and small goods and things like think that. Think about Amazon. Exactly. 100%. And that's what I'm saying. Do you think if Jeff Bezos said, oh, there's too much competition, there's already so many stores <laughs> out there, he wouldn't be the number one company today. You know what I mean? So there's, there's always room for new ideas. There's always room for fresh faces and new people, new concepts, even just new tonalities of voices. Sometimes we need to hear the same thing in somebody else's voice. So I don't know. I just really wanted to play on what you said then. But if you are struggling with this, there's too much competition, like Vanessa said, just pull up your big girl pants and freaking go for it. <laughs> yeah. And another thing too, I want to add, if we're going to like share more detail on this is something that I listened to from Gary V, especially for the listening that want to be a content creator, what Gary V says and actually kicked my butt into gear is that we are so lucky that we live in a day and age that on YouTube, on Instagram, on podcasts, we can create content for free mm-hmm. and that these platforms are not charging Back then, when there was TV ads, billboards, people could do it for free, and now they charge. Same thing with search engine optimization on Google. Back then, it costed not that much money in order to rank on social, on Google and get like search engine marketing. Now, it costs an arm and a leg. Even mm-hmm. Facebook ad prices are increasing. And I think that if you are someone that wants to be strategic in your business and you want to be a content creator, think about the urgency and scarcity and think about these things. Like everyone's motivated by different things. So I just want us to kind of share that angle because that's what really motivated for me to get started. I'm like, one day YouTube could easily charge content creators a crazy ridiculous fee in order to publish content. Same yeah. with Instagram. 
And especially for those people who are like, oh, the algorithm sucks, like so on and so forth. It's like, girl, you are so lucky that you can even publish things for free and you can actually have the opportunity to create a business off of a platform that allows you to post things for free. Back then, our moms, our grandmas, they couldn't do that. They had to pay or it didn't exist. Yeah. And so you are not being an opportunist if you aren't capitalizing on these amazing technologies that exist in our day and age. Anyone could be an entrepreneur. I am proof of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I want to talk more about the mentality of, you know, it's, it's too late to start and all of that in just a moment, but I definitely want to get back to your story because it's so interesting and it's so just exciting <laughs> to even listen to what you've been able to accomplish. So I think we were up to where you were in your copper job day one, it sucked. What happened yeah. after that? Yeah. So it sucked. And I was always telling myself in the back of my mind, Oh, maybe it's just the position that sucks. Or like, maybe it's something it's not, it's not the whole corporate scene. It must be like the position. So I would always work for the next promotion or the next position. And then each, I felt like at each level, there was always something that I made as an excuse as, as to why I wasn't happy. Like I wasn't in denial because I had worked so hard for it. And I felt like my identity was a part of the corporate culture because I was someone that graduated top female. And I was like the poster child of the, 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 the university or the program that I was in. Right. And so I just didn't want to disappoint. And it got to a point where I just realized that it's not worth going to a job that makes you cry every single day. And yes, you can handle it for the first year. But once you get into like the second year, the third year, it's not normal. It's normal in your first year, you're still adjusting. But if you're still feeling like absolute crap after your second or third year into the job, it's, it's not you, it's the job. And so I basically am a firm believer of trying to make things work before you give up on something. So I went to my company's HR department and I was just very vocal and I was like, hey, you're about to lose me as an employee if something doesn't change. And so this is exactly what I want in terms of my position. This is what I want in terms of the brands that I want to work on, so on and so forth. I was a marketing manager. So just to give people some context and they gave it to me. So I was happy about that. And that kind of fixed the problem a little bit slightly, very temporarily. And then once I pretty much got everything I wanted in the company and I was still unhappy, that's when I knew. That's when I know, I, you know, we're like, okay, everything is perfect. There's nothing else that I could optimize even further. Got the promotion, got the brand, got the, you know, the experience, but I am still very severely unhappy. And it got to the point also where it affected my personal brand. Like, you know, back then I was someone that never really like, I don't like people who complain. I'm very solution oriented, um, so on and so forth. But because of this job, I felt like I was changing as a person and I was not proud of who I became. I became someone who just constantly complained. Um, like it, I found joy in complaining. Like if I would literally go find my coworkers, be like, Hey, let's go for a coffee and like complain about today. And yeah. I took a step back and I was like, I'm just a negative source of energy and I'm not liking how me, my reputation is forming right now. So I left the job and I didn't have a backup plan. Um, I just knew that it was the summertime and I just didn't want to be there anymore. And I did a risk assessment. So for anyone who's listening, who, you know, thinks that it's going to be the end of the world because you leave a job, 
literally just write down every single thing that could possibly go wrong and find a solution for every single thing. And for me, I realized, okay, if I run out of money, I'll live back with my parents. If I, you know, if I start a business and it fails and the worst case scenario is I get another job. Like I didn't like this one anyways. And so that really gave me a lot of, um, how do I say a lot of solace and just knowing that, okay, every, everything is going to be fine. I'm not going to be homeless or starving or anything if I leave this job. And it's crazy because the moment that you actually own up and you take ownership, like we were talking about on your life and you just say, Hey, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm leaving is one of the most empowering moments that could ever happen when you actually walk away from something that does not serve you anymore. And I think that that moment has really made me into becoming someone who is more intuitive. It made me become someone who is more of a risk taker because now I know that on the other side of risk is reward. Like Mm -hmm. nothing fell apart. And so I just realized also I was super privileged as well. And I think that people need to acknowledge their privilege. I think that yes, you hate your job and you can complain, but there's some people that actually cannot have the option to leave a job that they hate. Some people you know, they have to be there because they have children or because, you know, they are on a visa and that job is sponsoring them. And that me learning about that from other people in the company that also wanted to leave, but couldn't made me acknowledge my privilege and that I was literally taking up space for someone else who really deserves to be there. And that was a huge moment for me. Yeah, that's massive, massive. So something I want to talk about, because I know your story, but just to like fill in the gaps, uh, you know, you said you left without having another job. It's not as if you went from corporate to corporate. What did you actually do um, after you left your job in terms of making money? And I really want to talk about this because obviously I know what it is, but I think a lot of people because of the pride and the ego won't do this. And yet it's the best solution, I think, for so many people. So what did you actually do after you left? <laughs> All right. So after I left, not going to lie, like the first month I was just traveling and like doing my own thing and like enjoying my freedom. But then after a while, like unemployment gets boring. sucky. Like it's not fun anymore. It's boring. And like, especially if you're someone who is like an overachiever or someone that just likes to do things, you just can't sit still. And I just realized like, okay, this is awkward. Like traveling's boring now and it's time to you know, it's not cool now that I quit my job. People are actually asking me questions of like, hey, like you've been chilling. So like, what's the next step? And that was when I created my YouTube channel just to, just, just because I could, like, I was like, okay, well, I guess it's now or never for the YouTube channel. And then on the side, I realized that I needed money because I'm also someone that I did save up for leaving, but I just, I just wasn't comfortable seeing my bank account drain. And obviously I moved back with my mom and both my parents were very concerned for me because I just knew I didn't want to go back to corporate. However, they very much so really worried about my finances. And as someone who is like 24 years old, you should have, you know, some sort of income coming in. And they gave me an ultimatum and it was like, you either go back to corporate or you literally get some sort of way to get money. Yeah. And at the time, I wasn't sure about the whole online business thing. Like I had a lot of hesitations because I still had a lot of limiting beliefs back then of whether or not I could actually do it. However, 
I just knew that if I go back to a corporate job, it's just going to be a Band-Aid solution and it's not going to fix anything. And so in the meantime, I took up a job as a barista working at a coffee shop and it was very challenging in the beginning. However, I knew that deep down what I was looking for in a new job, even if it was temporary, was time and energy to work on a passion project or to work on building a business. And it wasn't realistic for me. Yes, my ego kept pulling me towards LinkedIn and my ego kept pulling me towards like applying to other marketing manager jobs that I already know (laughs) the back of my hand what I'm going to be doing, which is the exact same thing as my old job. Um, so I really asked myself, like, what do I prioritize? And for me, it was convenience and it was just side cash. Even if it was like $500 a month, it's still, you know, a cup of coffee and it's still a meal and I don't have to keep asking my parents for money. And that's kind of embarrassing. And they didn't like that either. And so I was a barista at a coffee shop and it was really hard pill to swallow at first because the coffee shop that I chose to work at, and the reason why I chose to work there is because it was literally right across my house. So like I could, I would have a shift at like I don't know, let's say 8 a.m. in the morning and I could like leave my house at 7.59 and still be early. So it was awesome hard, but um, it was also embarrassing because it was like my city's number one coffee shop for students to study at. And so every day I would see someone that I knew from my past and they would literally go up to me and be like, why are you working as a barista? Like, didn't you graduate top female? Like, weren't you president of your undergraduate society? Like, didn't you work at this big company? Like, why are you here? And every single time I would, I I actually would change my name tag and purposely not wear makeup. So people wouldn't recognize me and they wouldn't know who I was. Eventually, like I just got over it, but it was tough, but it was so worth it because now it's a story that I can tell to people um, that are thinking of quitting their job, but, you know, want to start a business and I'm living proof that it's worth it and you will succeed. And if anything, putting yourself in that situation just makes you even more hungry to succeed. Yeah. Honestly, like it was the best decision that I made for myself because, because I put myself in such a, like a quote unquote embarrassing situation, I just worked even harder to get myself out of it. ASAP Rocky. And I want to say, I wanted you to tell that story, particularly because the number one thing I hear from people working in a corporate job or a nine to five is that not necessarily that they don't have time because obviously you can work in the morning after the work or on the weekend, but it's that they are coming home from their corporate job. So mentally drained from the office politics, from the uh, responsibilities and the role that they have to live up to that when they get home, it's almost like all they want to do is collapse on the couch. And Mm -hmm. I get that. I really do get that. But then when I offer them the solution of why don't you quit the corporate job and go work in retail, go work in a bar, go mm-hmm. work in hospitality, something that is you go, you do your job and you come home. It's not like you have to like bring your work home with you if what you're doing is you know, making cocktails. Um, ultimately, yeah, okay, there might be the odd shift or two where you have to stay on, but it's, it's nothing that's going to impact your home life or your business life, right? And, yeah. you know, the biggest excuse that I get from a lot of people is, oh no, I could never do that. How embarrassing. And I just wanted you to share that story because it's so important to recognize that what's more embarrassing is staying at a job you hate and never pursuing your dreams rather than just going for a means to an end. I would 100% if I didn't have the financial means right now to support myself through my business, be happy to go back and work in a bar because ultimately I would know that as soon as my shift is done, my entrepreneurial spirit can come out. If I was working in an office, then 
you know, there's always going to be extra demands and extra negativity that surrounds your entire existence when, you know, you're spending so much time there. And so for anyone who's like, whose ego is piping up and saying, I could never quit my job to work in retail, to work as a barista whilst I build my business. Vanessa did it. Marie Folio did it. So <laughs> many people who are successful did it because it is the best. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Solution, if your job is not allowing you to build your business, if, if there's conflict, if there's too much as a mentally drainage that comes out of your position or anything along those lines, if you really want to make this happen, just go for it, honestly. Absolutely. And it was so incredible because like I chose a part-time position and it didn't require any thought from me. It was so easy, but not only that, it was just the chillest job ever. So I would literally be standing there when there was no customers and I would be on my phone replying to my YouTube comments and like working on my business. And it was just chill. Like I didn't care. And it was a lot easier to set boundaries. Like Hey, Vanessa, can you come in for a shift? No, I'm working on my business. Whereas like if I actually worked for a corporate company, I'd be like, oh yeah, like I'll drop everything and work for you because there's that, there's that expectation when it comes with that job. So absolutely. Like that's something I also recommend my clients to do. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's an extension of your business. Like how I saw that barista gig and I, I really had to work hard to change my mindset on it and accept the fact that this is a part of the business. Like this is how I'm going to be paying for my convert kit, or this is going to be how I'm going to be paying for all the software that I need to get to run my business or to at least start my business. This is what I'm going to use to buy a new camera or like whatever I need to do for my YouTube channel. And you know, at the same time, when I was working that, it's funny because when I was working that barista job, I was, I was also saying to myself, this is going to make a really great New York Times bestseller. Like, mm-hmm. I'm liking this. Like, I'm liking the direction that this is going. And I think that it requires a lot of strength in order to be confident enough to know that it's just going to be a phase. Yeah. Like, I had no doubt in my mind that I was going to get out of there. It was yeah. just a matter of me putting in the work so that I could get out of there. Like, yeah. the whole time I was there, I'm like, I'm doing this. Yes, because out of necessity. But I also chose specifically to work as a barista because I knew that would just make such a great success story because I knew I was going to be successful. I I didn't know when, but I just knew I was going to be successful. And now I'm here, like having a podcast episode with you, which is so humbling because literally like three months ago, I was making lattes for old men. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And now now it's like... Crazy, crazy success. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, so the next, the next phase we could say was obviously when we started working together and then you building your business. I mean, we don't necessarily have to jump in um, too much into the whole coaching thing, but I wanted to kind of dump this on you because a lot of people, you know, when it comes to online courses or communities or self-educating themselves or just investing in themselves, I think what a lot of people miss is that the the coaching or the course or the content isn't going to be the pill that makes it all work for you. It's going to be the direction 
that you go in that you make it work for you. And I wanted to talk about you as a client from my perspective Mm -hmm. and what I saw in you. And then maybe you could shed some light on what I'm saying so that you could, I guess, give people the motivation that if they are going to invest in themselves, if they are going to get to invest in the coach, in a coach or a course or anything, how they can get the most out of that experience. So, um, Vanessa and I worked together for a few months, one-on-one, and basically the thing that I noticed immediately about Vanessa was actually exactly what she was just saying. Even though, I'm going to just be honest, and I hope this is okay, she had a lot of self-doubt, a lot of imposter syndrome, so many fears, came back to me so many times and said, I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? There was just a lot of confusion as we all do when we start our businesses, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why you, I guess, hire a coach. But the one thing that I saw in you so much was that there was just this underlying, even though it wasn't always strong, this underlying confidence that it was going to happen or that it had to happen for you and Mm -hmm. through our entire working together obviously these are the traits that I saw that I believe have contributed to your success but that underlying drive to that it has to happen and I'd I'd love to know obviously it came from you know your get wanting to get out of the Bristol world but I'm sure it's deeper than that yeah Um, (laughs) your drive but also your resourcefulness If I was going to say the two things that, in my opinion, made you successful, again, in my opinion, would be the drive, because that got you through the hard times, got you through the fear. But I've never really worked with anyone who has been so resourceful. So resourceful to not come to me ever with a question that you could have Googled or come and, you know, rely on taking a course to give you all the answers. It's like the thing that I really saw in you was that if there was a problem or if there was an opportunity, you took it upon yourself to figure it out. And I really think that that's such a strong trait, not only in someone who's being coached, but someone who is trying to become an entrepreneur, trying to become successful in any area of life. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your, more your perspective about how do you have so much drive? I know it wasn't just to get out of the barista job. Like why (laughs) is business so important to you so much so to work through your own fears? And can you give anyone any advice on how to become more resourceful? Yeah, absolutely. So with the drive, yeah, a part of it was the barista gig, but I also felt like I had just, I felt like I self-sabotaged my life. And there were times that I thought that seriously, like, did I just really throw away every single thing that I had? Because when I left my job, obviously my parents weren't like thrilled. And there was a period where I stopped talking to my dad because he just couldn't believe that I would even do such a thing. And, you know, I remember when I was like telling him, yeah, I'm doing YouTube now. He was like, so how much money are you making? And I'm like, it's my first video, like (laughs) calm down. And it was just very stressful. And so we stopped talking for three months. And I think the drive just came from, I've literally have risked everything just to make this work. And I invested my last few dollars of like whatever I saved in this coaching program and it just has to work like and i think that this is what tony robbins says is that a lot of people they are more willing to avoid pain than they are to seek pleasure and for me it wasn't necessarily oh i want to be an entrepreneur to make all this money i just felt like i was in so much pain that i wanted to get out of and that's why i capitalized and optimized like every single session that we had and i was like coming prepared and i was like i have all these questions for you because i knew that I, and I also knew that coaching, 
hiring a coach is not a band-aid solution. It's not like you hiring a coach magically, like everyone is going, like you're going to be successful. Like coaches, when they have clients, they share the exact same types of structures, same types of teachings. But for some reason, there are clients that do well and some clients that just don't. Mm -hmm. And the, the common denominator is the client, not the coach. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that concept from the get-go and I was like, I need to, you know, take advantage of every single thing and I just cannot fail. There is no option for giving up or failure just because I had so much on the line. And also a huge part of this too was I was documenting my journey because I knew how important that was in terms of entrepreneurship and building a brand, but also because I felt like I didn't really see a lot of people doing that. And so I wanted to be that person that does share that vulnerability. And I was like, Hey guys, like I'm not making any money, but this is like what I'm up to. And because I was documenting my journey, I felt like I needed to really make it happen because the, my friends, my family, people who were just starting to follow me, like all knew what I was up to. And I'm just someone that's really motivated by that. And that's how I force myself to be motivated is by telling people my goals. Like I know some people say, don't tell people your goals. But for me, I'm the type of person that's like, you know, like even before I was making money on the business, I told my friends, I'm going to make six figures this year. Like I'm going to tell you right now, that's my goal. And now I'm working towards that goal for this year because it helps me stay motivated because I've already told so many people what I'm up to. So that's kind of where that drive came from. And you know what, I I just want to pull out, before we go to the resourcefulness question, I really want to pull out the nugget of wisdom for everyone who's listening. Put skin in the game, guys. Like it's so easy to retract from actually, you know, committing to the YouTube videos or the lives or the Facebook group or going out there and getting clients better testers, everything that you need to do in order to become a successful coach. What Vanessa really said that she did was she put skin in the ga- skin in the game. She didn't only invest in herself, but she had enough self-integrity to say, well, I know how I work. And I know that if I tell people my goals, I'm going to feel more, you know, am more motivated to go out and achieve them. So not only were you self-aware enough to know that that's what inspired and motivated you, but you were also had enough integrity to actually go out and do that. And I think yeah. so many people are trying to build businesses and trying to become successful from I'm going to say their comfort zones, not actually, you know, investing or committing or proclaiming. And then it's just so easy not to do the things, not to do the live, not to build the group, not to respond to the post. It's so easy. Of course, most people aren't naturally self-motivated. And even those who are semi self-motivated, it's still easy to retract due to fear. So there's so much writing against you. There's always going to be this resistance there. And a great resource is um, the war of art. If you've never heard of it, definitely pick that one up. But resistance is always going to be there. But ultimately at the end of the day, find out what motivates you like Vanessa did and go do that thing right now. Have enough respect and integrity for yourself to figure out what that motivation is and to go do it. Yeah. And I also, now that I think about it, I also owe it a lot to you because I feel like, you know, in the beginning I wasn't consistent and I wasn't, and I remember like you reminding me like, Hey Vanessa, like I saw that you didn't upload a YouTube video today. Like what's going on. And I wasn't consistent because I felt like nobody cared. You know what I mean? And I was like, nobody's watching. Like if I miss some, if I miss posting a video, it's not going to make a huge dent in anything. If I miss this, it's fine. If I don't do the live, it's okay. And I remember you said something that I say to my clients now, because it just meant so much to me. And you were like, how can you expect people to take you seriously if you cannot take yourself seriously as a business owner? Mm -hmm. And I was like, mind blown. And that's when, that's literally ever since you said that, I have been consistent on YouTube 
every single week, ever since you said that, Aaron. And that has helped me so much because it's so true. Like if you are wanting to become a business owner and you want people to trust you and you want people to look up to you and be like, this is the person that I want to work with, or this is the person that I want to follow. And you're not practicing the things that you preach to others, then there's a huge discrepancy. And when you kind of drilled that into my mind, I was like, wow, oh my goodness. Like I need to actually practice what I preach. And if I want to have clients respect me, I need to respect myself and I need to hold myself to that standard. If I'm going to hold other people to that standard. Absolutely. And that was something that I definitely wanted to give you credit for because you literally kicked my bum into gear when you said that. And I was like, yeah, you're right. But I mean, and that, and that, and that honestly is the, the emphasis of, you know, what I teach in a lot of my programs, because people are skeptical. Like there's so much crap on the internet these days. And if you are going to invest in someone, if you are going to purchase something from someone, you want to know that they're doing it as well. You want to know mm-hmm. that they're out there, even if they're not, you know, you're not a seven figure earner at this stage, nor am I, but that doesn't mean we're not further along than the people who want to work with us right at this stage. And the only way they know that we are where Mm -hmm. we are is through documenting that journey is through putting content out there and being consistent. And I think that's so important. It's like, would you ever, ever, you know, go get a lung transplant from someone who's never transplanted any lungs before. And you didn't have a hundred percent proof that they knew that they what they were doing. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's just so important. I don't really even know where I'm going with this, but ultimately at the end of the day for anyone listening, like you have to hundred percent be the representation, be the ambassador for your yes. niche, for what it is that you're trying to teach and put it out as often as you possibly can. Yes. Even when you don't think anyone's watching, they are watching. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, so I guess the next part of my question was, because as I said, something that I saw in you was that you were very resourceful, I guess. I don't know. Do you, I, I just, you might, but do you classify as that as just a skill that you have being someone who's good at research, being someone who's good at, you know, figuring things out, or is there any advice you could give to someone to get a little bit more resourceful? Yeah. So I think that two things I want to say, the first one is, yeah, I think it was something that was innately built in me after working in corporate because I worked with a lot of people that were like, Hey, figure it out. And I think that that's something that was just naturally embedded in me to be resourceful. And also going back to the statement where I knew that, you know, the common denominator of people's success is the client, not the coach. And I knew that not every single client that you work with is going to be like a six figure earner right off the bat. Why? even though every single client has learned the same thing from the same coach, it's Mm -hmm. the client. And I knew that I didn't want to be that client for you. Um, But the second thing too, is it's interesting because I actually felt like I was a little bit too resourceful Mm -hmm. in a sense where I was kind of taking sources like from everywhere and anywhere. And that was something that I kind of realized now that was like, if I, if you are someone who is listening to like all these gurus and all these online marketers, that was kind of what I was doing. And then I would get analysis paralysis. And I remember like constantly asking you questions like, oh, this coach teaches that. And then this coach teaches that. And then everyone's doing this. And I felt like I was a little bit too resourceful in that sense because it, 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 it basically made me really scattered brain and it really made me doubt my own abilities. And I felt like I lost my own intuition as how to run my own business. And over time, like, especially working with you, you've taught me to trust my gut and like do the things that I want to do versus looking at what person A, person B, person C is doing. Because at the end of the day, 
people are getting the same results, but the way to get there is different for everyone. And my biggest advice that I'm learning now is if you are overwhelmed in this like online marketing space or online business space, just choose like two to three mentors that you admire most, but not just as them as people, but their business model. Yeah. Admire, like look at the people who have the same exact business model that you want to have and then just solely listen to their content. Yeah. Don't like follow every single coach in the, in the space and like, you know, listen to all these podcasts because that's what I was doing. And I just couldn't take action anymore because I was paralyzed and I was yeah. scared and I was so scared to make the wrong moves because this person does affiliate marketing, but then this person does like, you know, a group coaching and then this person does all this and it just got too confusing for me. And then what I realized is that, okay, the people that I admire are the people who put out content. So content creators, people who are on video. So you, I also have other mentors that are in video and I just solely follow their work. And then people who create courses. Yeah. Like Amy Porterfield for me is like my girl for courses. I really look up to her business model and how she does her podcast and the amount of quality content that she gives. She does not cheap out on content and I admire her for that. And that's how she built a really strong following. And that's how I'm building my strong following. Because if you actually look at my YouTube video, the reason why I stand out and why I grew so fast and I've surveyed people and I asked them, Hey, why did you subscribe to me? Is because I give really good content that some people would actually pay for. And that's what helped me stand out from YouTube and how a small creator like me just kind of blew up. Um, because my content stood out. So it, it's interesting you called me resourceful because I actually felt like I was a little bit too resourceful. And I feel like you probably agree with me now that I've said it. I agree with you, but I think what the, the best distinction to make here is actually what you came to understand. So yes, that mm-hmm. was more so in the beginning, but what I was more so talking about is when you started to listen to your gut, what your yeah. gut told you, you would then go figure that out. So that's a difference, a differentiation for everyone listening. It's like, rather than listening to what everyone's saying and saying, I have to learn all of this stuff, listen to your gut. What's your gut telling you to do? And if you don't know how to do that, go figure it out. That's what I saw you doing. Yeah. You know, if there was a direction that you're like, I, I know this feels right. How can I get the information if I don't already have it? And so that's what yeah. I think is a really important skill. But considering we went there, I really do want to talk about YouTube because obviously that has been such a big platform for you. I love YouTube. You love YouTube. Everyone should <laughs> love YouTube because it's just the best place to hang out on the internet, in my humble opinion. However... <laughs> I think what a lot of people, and I know we kind of touched on this in the very beginning, but a lot of people are so afraid to start YouTube because of the competition, because it's hard to stand out because it's too late. And I don't have a good perspective on this because I started my YouTube channel in 2014. And even though that's still kind of late, it was much earlier than it obviously is now in 2019. But there are still so many examples of people who are starting today and succeeding, like so many examples. So what's your exact advice if if I was coming to you now and saying, I want to start a YouTube channel, but it's too late in 2019, what would you say? And can you also tell the story about what happened with your YouTube channel just to give context? Yeah. So your first question is kind of like what I said earlier, the whole Gary Vee saying that like one day this platform is going to cost money for you to publish things. And that's kind of what I tell my clients is like, take advantage of the fact that you can even like have a voice online for free and you don't have to pay for it. Like this internet thing is like your playground. It's like the wild, wild west right now. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And there is no limits. And so if you're going to stop yourself from literally taking advantage of this amazing business opportunity, you are really going to kick yourself in the butt the moment that these platforms disappear and you have to pay for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing is, is that I think that a lot of people, when they do YouTube, their goal is to get a million followers and to blow up and all of that. But for me, my goal, because I looked up to so many of my mentors, I wanted to just use YouTube as a lead generator. Like it didn't matter if I had 500 followers or subscribers or a thousand. What mattered for me was the quality of subscribers and how many of them would actually convert into like clients for my business. And so I came with that intention with not becoming famous or not becoming an influencer. I just wanted to help people and make sure that the people I was helping, I was really speaking to them. And then that would then lead to like potential business opportunities for my coaching that I was working with you on. And so when you come into that intention, it kind of changes the game because you're, you're no longer worried about vanity metrics. And for Mm -hmm. me, you know, now that I do have the fancy vanity metrics, it's, it, I, I never cared about that stuff. It was more about giving and serving and how can I help people and what is the best platforms so that people could actually build trust with me, like no like trust. That was super important for me. And that's why I chose YouTube over other um, different types of platforms because I wanted people to see me, to hear me, to look at my mannerisms so that when they're thinking about hiring a coach, they know exactly what they're signing up for. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's kind of why I did YouTube. And as a result of giving so much value, the vanity metrics came. So, you know, I never concern myself so much with vanity metrics because that's the part that stresses people out. And then that's when it doesn't become fun anymore. And that's when it becomes kind of like, I don't know, work. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it's still all work. And YouTube is definitely something that if I ever did it for a hobby, it'd be quite challenging. And I need to have that motivation to be consistent on it. But just come from a place of actually serving and really using that 1,000 fans theory where it talks about how instead of looking for like a million people to just have a million people, really focus on cultivating those 1,000 true fans that you have that will literally follow you anywhere because they love you so much. It doesn't matter what products you launch. It doesn't matter if you do a meet and greet. These are the people that are going to drive all the way from state to state to see you because they love you so much. And that was how I built such a strong tribe because I only focused on the people that already signed up instead of looking for more people to sign in. And so, um, and the thing with that is when you treat the people in your community very well and you treat them like gold, other people around you notice Mm -hmm. and they want a piece of that. For instance, my Facebook group. I eventually launched Facebook group because the people in my little small 500 subscriber tribe loved my content so much and it resonated with them so much that they would message me asking me questions. And I was like, okay, I think it's time to open up a Facebook group. And I did. And in that group, I gave so much value. Um, and these people would actually add other people into my group. They would post content and share it on their story. And it's just building those relationships. And when you actually master that skill of relationship building on a one-on-one basis, especially while you're still small and you can, and you have the flexibility to do so, you create brand ambassadors within your community and they do the promotion for you. Yeah. Everything that I do, like all the clients that I get, people who message me, it's all inbound 
never outbound. All I do is create content. I give value and I cultivate relationships and everyone else around me in my community does the promoting for me because they believe in my mission and they love my work and they just want, they just want people to get a piece of it as well. I love that. Honestly, and I'm so glad you just, you explained that so eloquently because I see so many people and I get so many inbox messages and I'm sure you do the same now of people saying my Instagram's not growing. My YouTube oh. channel's not growing. What do I do? I want to get to 10 K like all of these things. And I say, mate, you've got, I go to their pages and I go, I know, so that sounded really Aussie, but you go to their pages and they have a post that they've done a really emotional post and a whole bunch of people who have, commented on that post and they haven't even responded. And it's just oh my like, goodness, if yeah. you're not building the relationship with the people who are already there, you will never grow. It will be highly unlikely unless you get some ridiculous outlandish viral video, but it's, it will be, if you don't cultivate those relationships with those people who are there from the very beginning, you will struggle, struggle to grow. And even Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot because in his book, Crushing It, or maybe it's Crush It, I can't remember, he actually calls out by name some of the people who first followed him. So I think there was about five or 10 people who must have followed him from his very first YouTube channel. And he said, these were the people that followed me from the beginning. And wow. still this far along, he called them out by name. Yeah. And that's just crazy. You guys, if you have one person following you at the moment, that person should be your best friend. You know, if you start a group and there's two people in there, group coach those two people until mm -hmm. they get such an amazing experience that they then go tell their friends. Word of mouth is word of mouth and shareability is still one of the best ways to grow an amazing community. Obviously algorithms, they can be beneficial. They can be um, annoying in some people's opinion, but ultimately at the end of the day, shareability, word of mouth, because people trust their friends. People mm -hmm. trust when their friends go, Hey, you should check out Vanessa. She's got an epic YouTube channel. They will go and actually do that rather than more likely being told to by an algorithm. And so yeah. I just think what you've done with your community, it's absolutely amazing. And thank you for sharing that so much. Um, but just to get back, just because I don't want to take up too much more of your time and I, I can chat to you for <laughs> This has been awesome. Like I could go on all day about this. this same, same. But I, I, I like really tried to gauge it by like the average commute time because obviously people want to live <laughs> their commutes and I don't know if anyone has a three hour commute, we could start doing the Joe Rogan thing. <laughs> you can start one part two. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely we will do that. Later in the year when you have smashed the six figure goal, we'll get you back on. Oh geez. <laughs> Excited. But the last thing, um, just to go back to the story, because um, again, a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's really hard to grow like quickly, et cetera, et cetera. And I just wanted to get your opinion because, um, you know, Vanessa's, channel as uh she didn't describe it basically she was sitting on a thousand subscribers i think it was or 1500 had a yeah. video that went viral and that yeah. got you up to um 2500 she's got a yeah. whole video explaining that what happens and so i'll link that in the description but what's your opinion on virality like do you think it is something that is just pure luck and if so how can you influence that luck or do you think there's strategy behind it I mean, it's a mix, right? Like, I don't know how to crack the code on getting every video viral. If so, then every video of mine would be viral and not just that one. However, what I do want to say is like, just because one video goes viral doesn't mean that you're going to blow up in subscribers overnight. Yeah. You have to actually already have a library of really great content, or you actually have to continue to pump out great content in order to capitalize on that virality. That's one thing. 
but it's not just, okay, once I have one video that goes viral, I'm good to go. I'm going to make 10K months and all of that stuff. And what I'm really glad happened is that when that video went viral, I already had a lot of other videos that I was consistently pumping out that was good. Like they weren't crap. And on top of that, the video that did go viral was really good. Like I gave it my all in terms of content and in terms of value. Imagine virality can actually be a bad thing. Okay. Imagine if that video had crap tips or like my content was awful or like it wasn't what people wanted and went viral. That would have killed my brand. Mm -hmm. People would have been like, I would have lost credibility as a coach if I was giving like you know, holding back on tips and really giving things that people could easily Google, super basic things, it could have killed my channel. But instead, I, came, I always came from the perspective of give value, give value, be unique, um, and really listen to my audience. I'm very good with social listening. And that's something that I prioritize in how I run my business is listening to what people want and then creating it instead of, I'm just going to create whatever I want to create. It's like, no, I want to create what people want to see from me so that it actually helps them. It's about them, not about me. And I'm just the messenger Mm -hmm. of helping them and getting from point A to point B. And so with virality, yes, there is a little bit of strategy to it. You just have to be consistent first of all. And I found that the moment that I increased my uploads to from one video a week to two videos a week, it obviously increases the chances of YouTube picking you up. Yeah. So the more videos that you pump up, it's a numbers game. Naturally, one video is going to get viral. So if you're just doing one video a week, and if that's what you can stay consistent on, then just do one video a week for now. That's what I started off on. Like, I would rather have someone do one video a week and be consistent on it than try to do like three videos a week and like be spotty on it. Yeah. It's not going to work that way, right? You want to train your audience to expect your content and, you know, build a tribe. But um, what I was going to say is if you're just posting four videos, oh, I mean, sorry, one video a week, that's four videos a month. That means you have like a very small chance of one of those videos going viral. But if you had a larger pool of videos that you were pumping out each month because you're posting two, three, four, five, six times a week, whatever, the chances of you going viral is going to increase. It's just like buying the lottery. Exactly. And so it is part luck, but part strategy. And my biggest advice is to just stay consistent on the platform. And eventually you will be rewarded, especially if that content is good. If that content's not good, then people are just going to click off of your video. With YouTube, it's all about watch time, how engaging are your videos. It's not just about posting a video and calling it a day. YouTube has changed their algorithm to favor content creators that actually create valuable content that people want to watch. Mm -hmm. How YouTube works is that they favor content creators that, you know, encourage their audience to stay on their platform for as long as possible. They're running a business at the end of the day. And if you can help YouTube do that, they're happy with you and they will push out your content because they know that you have a really great watch time. And so my biggest advice to anyone who wants to be a content creator is think about the value, give value. Don't hold back. I know a lot of people say, Oh, if I give it away, then no one's going to hire me. Or like, if I give it away, um, then no one's going to pay for it. And that's actually the problem that I had. And I asked you for advice on, and I don't know if you want to like share your advice to people with that, because I don't want to take your advice. But right. you, uh, you share it. I think you've been doing really well at sharing my advice. I love it. Yeah. Like you gave excellent advice in terms of when I was at a, at a point in my channel where I was like, I feel like I want to share these things, but I would normally teach them with a client. I don't know how I feel about that. 
And you said something that really clicked with me is like, content is everywhere. Like you could literally build a business from just Googling things yourself and trying to DIY it. But at the end of the day, like even for me, as smart as I think I am, I still hired you. I couldn't figure it out. Like I couldn't piece every single thing together. And when you actually have someone who's a client, you're giving them personalization. You are literally answering their questions directly and solving their problem one-on-one, which you cannot get in a video. You cannot get in a Google search. You cannot get in a podcast episode. Mm -hmm. And so when you told me that, I was like, okay, I trust this advice and I'm just going to give it my all. And my channel, yes, the virality helped in terms of getting eyeballs, but what actually made people stay and what made people actually want to join a community and support my work was my content. It was all me, not YouTube, not, I mean, it was YouTube, but not that video. That video does not define my success. It was the opportunity that came to reward me for being consistent, but it was me that actually retained the audience to stay. I love that. Um, And just something I want to say on the, 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 you know, would people, if I'm giving so much valuable content out on YouTube, are people going to pay for me? People pay for one thing and one thing only because it's the only thing we can never get enough of. And that is time. And so if you're working with someone one-on-one, you're saving them a shit ton of time. If you're working Mm -hmm. with someone in a course, you're giving them a sequence, which is also going to save them time. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, you probably could figure everything out, but it's going to take you a long time and people don't have the patience and they don't even have the physical time to do that. And that's why people buy courses. That's why people buy um, coaching. It's, it's the investment they make in themselves, which also gives them that drive. Like we already spoke about, um, cause they probably won't even do it if it's free. Right. And also it's, it's getting, it's having that time saving. And if it is one-on-one coaching rather than a course, then it is for that personalized feedback. Um, but the one thing that I really, really heard in your whole story then is two elements. Like if we were going to put a, put a strategy or or a formula for virality for channel success, it's two very simple things, value and consistency. And I just want to share my own story on that because I, yes, had a couple of videos that you could say did really well when I, I was creating fitness content and that obviously boosted my channel. I think when I started creating business content, I might've had about 20,000 subscribers. I did not have my first viral video until two and a half years into creating content. And so it's because it doesn't happen in your first month or two Mm -hmm. months or three months, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Now I'm sitting here with a subscriber plaque. I'm sitting here with a multiple six figure business, but don't sit there and say, I need to get my first viral video. It's just exactly like Vanessa said, pump out good, valuable quality content, build a community, really focus on harnessing relationships. Even if it's with one person in the beginning, that will grow. And ultimately that's how you build a successful business as a content creator. Yeah. When you focus on delivering valuable content, eventually your business will be found. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love it. So (laughs) I want to know before we leave, what is on the vision? What is happening? Where is Vanessa Lau Co going in the future? Obviously you've had amazing success so far, but where, what can we expect to see from you for the rest of the year? Oh my goodness. It just seems like I just got started, which I technically just did. (laughs) So it's like a loaded question. Just, I feel like the things that are happening now to me was something that I thought wouldn't happen until like maybe months later. So I'm like rejigging my vision now and I'm forcing myself to think bigger because I think that in the beginning I wasn't thinking big enough. Um, And now I'm really forcing myself to think bigger. But I think for me, my vision 
is to be able to scale and to actually be able to not trade time for dollars. Because as much as I like, you know, on Instagram, call myself an entrepreneur and everything, I personally don't think I am an entrepreneur. I mean, I have the qualities of an entrepreneur, so on and so forth, but it's like, I would be more confident calling myself an entrepreneur the moment that I'm like at a point where I'm literally not trading time for dollars and I don't have to be there in order to make money. Cause right now I'm doing one-on-one coaching, which is amazing and like great experience. And I love working one-on-one clients and having that personal touch, but at the same time, I still need to be there in order to, you know, have an exchange in like revenue or whatever. And so for the future, for me, it's really about launching those courses, figuring out ways where I can like multiply the people that I help without multiplying myself, if that makes sense. So that I can help as many people as possible with in one go, let's say. And like, I think with any coach or anyone who has a service-based business that has clients, I think a lot of our, a lot of us, our goal is to be at a place where we can just speak and be like a Gary Vee who literally speaks to like thousands and thousands of people deliver the same value that you would give to someone one-on-one but actually have a platform to be able to do it to thousands instead of just one person yeah. and to create more of like an international impact. I mean, this is my big vision, obviously, like I'm like, like, still of the first year of my business, but that's what I want for myself. And again, reverse engineering, how am I going to get there? Okay. Well, one-on-one is not going to get me there. And I need to quickly figure out how I can mul- multiply the value that I give to people without you know, needing to literally multiply myself because that's not possible. (laughs) Look, I think everyone who's either listening and met you for the first time or already knows of you through the community would 100% agree with me when I say, watch out Gary V because Vanessa is coming. 100%. I really, really do see you. It's all thanks to you, honestly, Erin. No, 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 no. no. It's not all (laughs) thanks to me. I, I, I was your coach. I was, a, I was a small part in what's going to become a very, very big journey. It's all thanks to oh you my gosh, I love and you, you. believing <laughs> in yourself. So I just want to point that out. But thank you so much for your time today. This has been incredibly valuable. What a way to kick back off the podcast with such an incredible interview. The last question I have for you is where can everybody find you? Give us all the details because I'm sure they're going to want to stalk you if they're not already. Yeah. So I guess easiest is Instagram. Um, I'm vanessalau.co. And then my website.co. And YouTube is just Vanessa Lau. So I'll probably pop up. But yeah, very simple. <laughs> Easy done. And we will have all of the links to everything we've spoken about in the description, um, as well as all of Vanessa's links below. So definitely go check her out. Definitely go stalk her. And we cannot <laughs> wait to see what you're doing in the future. Thank you, Erin. This was amazing. So many like truth bombs and this was such a value added episode. And I'm sure a lot of people in your community is going to really enjoy this one. Love it. Thanks girl. Thank you. Whoa, guys, as you can see, that was such an incredible episode. I'm just honestly so grateful that I got the chance to sit down with Vanessa and hear out her journey, even from the perspective of an interviewer rather than just the coach. So I hope you took so, so, so much value away from this. If you do have any questions for either myself or Vanessa, please do not hesitate to reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear what you thought about the episode as well. So please share this on your story with all of your friends, especially with those who you feel would benefit from this story. So 
So that is it for today's episode. I really hope that it was helpful for you. I hope that you are walking away so incredibly empowered to take action on your dreams. If you would like any additional resources from today's episode, then please do check out the show notes. And as mentioned in the introduction, if you would like any additional support on your own personal branding journey, please do come over and join us in the May Collective group on Facebook. Also, I would love if you would pop over to Instagram and hang out with me there because that is where I share the behind the scenes to my own personal branding journey. Thank you so much for your time today and I will see you in the next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.